Pittsburgh. Joining me now in studio, he is, are you 30 yet? I am 30. He was the hottest young rising talent in Pittsburgh sports media, but now he's 30. Joining me for the next hour is Adam Crowley. Crowman, you're doing your podcast, which you're still not being paid for? Correct. What else are you doing? Because when Steelers season starts, you're one of those guys who's everywhere all the time. What do you got going? That is true. I'm doing stuff on Steelers Nation Radio right now, covering training camp, which is just scintillating stuff. I'm also on the iHeart Sports Network, so I do sports updates in the mornings up and down the East Coast. If you just want to check me out on Twitter, you can do that, but I think you're probably going to be disappointed there, too. Well, no no more than usual, obviously. Now, who is the best Steelers number 2 quarterback ever? Because in this time, and really in all the NFL times, we romanticize the number 2 quarterback. We can't wait for him to get his shot until he does. But in this case, I just don't want these two guys to get their shot, Haskins or Rudolph, because I think they've both been proven subpar commodities. But going back in history, who's the best Steelers number 2 ever? It's probably Charlie Batch. Although you look in Landry Jones's numbers are similar to Charlie Batch's numbers, I think Batch was surrounded by better teams. In terms of talent, I mean, Tommy Maddox was a first-round pick. Uh, Byron Leftwich was the seventh overall pick. Dwayne Haskins was the 15th overall pick, and he's got a big arm. So those are my three in terms of talent. It's probably Charlie Batch in terms of accomplishment. Well, I got Batch and Tom Zach because each could start and did. Each was content to be number two, and each was always ready when called upon, and I think those are the three things that make a solid backup. Yeah, that's true. Uh, You can't have the ego to want to be the guy, and I'll never forget Charlie Batch beating the Baltimore Ravens and then sobbing in the arms of whomever it was. I guess I forgot that part. A big-time victory for him. Uh, He led the Steelers to some wins in Super Bowl seasons where they probably don't make the playoffs if he doesn't win those games. That's true. Uh, of the backups, he probably came through more than any other one. Yeah, in 05, he beat Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, in 2008, Byron Leftwich had a win over the Washington Redskins at the time. If they don't win those games, well, in 05, they don't make the playoffs. In 08, they're not the number 2 seed, so they're probably not playing the Ravens. In fact, they aren't at home. Um, So a backup quarterback, it's not about whether the guy can come in and play the whole season. It's about can the guy come in for two or three games. Both of those guys were able to do that. I was looking at the Steelers' schedule the last few days. What games are 100% going to be losses for the Steelers? Because I see at KC, at Buffalo, at Green Bay as three games they can't possibly win, barring you know injury to key players on those teams. And I see a few more that aren't very promising either. I think the Buffalo game's winnable because it's the first game. And a lot of times, you'll see some sloppy ball. I think that benefits the team that's worse, and I do think the Steelers are worse. I also think Cole Beasley's blowing up that locker room. I think that is a major distraction, like Peter King said. It definitely doesn't help them. Uh, There's no question about that. They're not going to win at Kansas City. If Rodgers is the quarterback, and he will be unless he's hurt, they're not going to win at Green Bay. But I do think that they have a shot uh, at Buffalo. What about at Baltimore, at Cleveland? They swept Baltimore last year, though one of those games was the was the COVID game. Uh, they seem to have Lamar Jackson's number defensively. It wouldn't shock me if they won that game. Cleveland, 
It's the first time that those fans get to see a good team play the Steelers at home. Well, the pressure's on the Browns, and that's true. Although, like a Steeler insider told me not long ago, the Browns really double crossed the Steelers by getting a good coach in Kevin Stefanski because. Coaching has been their weakness, boy, as far back as I can remember, and it's not now. Yeah, even when they had a guy that I thought was decent, Mike Pettin, who led them to a 6-2 and start one year, they fired him at the end of the season. So they've always got rid of guys too quick. Uh, I do think that they've got a good situation at coach right now. I still think Baker Mayfield pays too much attention to outside noise, and I think that they're going to get big-headed in maybe a game or two where they're favored. I'm not so sure that that's going to happen against Pittsburgh, though. I think they'll be ready for those ones. Who's going to be the backup quarterback this year? Because that has become the discussed battle. I'm sorry, I refuse to take Dwayne Haskins seriously. He's got a crap attitude. His wife knocked his tooth out. And he was a first-round pick in Washington and just absolutely soiled the bed. And it's not so long ago that I think he understands what happened in Washington and wants to correct his flaws. Yeah, I think that Washington is just about as bad of an organization as you can land in, but you're either mature enough to be the guy or you're not mature enough to be the guy. I'm not so sure you figure that out over the course of one off season, and that's all it's been for Dwayne Haskins. He's more talented than Mason Rudolph. There's no question about that. But Mason Rudolph's been around. He's familiar with the situation. He's familiar with the guys he's throwing the ball to. I think Mason's probably going to be the guy, though not as talented. I think Mason's going to be the guy, too. And I'm not altogether uncomfortable if he has to play. I mean, you know, in in spot duty, like just to start here and there. Like if Ben played 15 games and Mason started two, and Mason maybe had to come on in a couple more games, I would not see that as something that would destroy the Steelers. And furthermore, I think Yinzer Nation would think a lot more highly of Mason if in that battle with... Uh, Miles Garrett a couple years back, he hadn't looked like such a candy ass. Yeah, he got his butt whooped. I also think, Mark, And he looked like he was going to cry. It just, it was not becoming for him. He also, he gets conflated, I think, with Duck Hodges a little bit. That year, the quarterback play was so bad on the hole, and he got knocked out by Earl Thomas, and they had to cut the mask off, which didn't look good either. He looked like a... A loser a little bit in that situation. I just think that kind of stuff, plus Duck Hodges being as bad as he was, sort of gets conflated, and I think he gets blamed for a lot of the things that Duck Hodges did. Can Najee Harris pass block? Uh, Because that's a good question. I'm told Fryermuth can't block, which is a surprise. Can anybody on the Steelers block? I mean, my God, Ben could be dead inside of five or six snaps. Eric Ebron said he was going to try to block this year, but yeah, that's not going to happen. Pat Fryermuth is not a great blocker. I think he needs a little bit more sand in his pants, and he just yeah. But I keep getting told he can't block at all. Yeah, it's not his strength. They didn't utilize him like that at Penn State. Like people look at him and go, "Oh, big white guy, he can block." Nah, not so much. They just used him basically as a slot option. Najee Harris is willing and able to pass block, and I think that that's going to be a strength of his. Recognition's going to be the issue early on in his NFL career, but that's not something I'd worry about with him. I think he wants to do it. I think so, too, but but when you stir in Najee Harris being inexperienced at pass blocking, which is fair to say, mm-hmm. and the tight ends can't block, don't block, and you've got that offensive line, again, well, put it this way. What's your over-under for how many games Ben starts this year? How many games will he miss because of injury? 
He's been healthier of late than he had been earlier in his career. I think if the line is as bad as a lot of people think it's going to be, you're going to see a lot of what we saw last year. Getting rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds. Yeah, but then the other team figures it out, and the Canada offense is negated. Oh, it totally is. I think it keeps Ben alive, though. I think it keeps him upright. But you see, and I don't say this flippantly because I'm a, I'm a Ben guy, but I would put him at more risk for the sake of succeeding. I think it's come time to gamble a bit with that. Well, and I would hope that he would see it the same way. No. But that's not the case. I don't think we're going to see him do some of the other things that we've seen the other two quarterbacks do, play action, move the pocket to the right and left in some of these practices. I'd probably set the over-under at 14.5 games for Roethlisberger. If I had to predict how many games he's going to miss due to injury, I would say five. If he misses five games, they cut off the punchline! Maybe. Uh, what's going to happen at slot corner? Because James Pierre looks good, but he's not a slot corner. They have said pointedly they don't want to flip Sutton back and forth between the slot and outside, but now I hear they're discussing exactly that. And by the way, that's why I think they're going to struggle. Because normally the Steelers have everything written in stone, and it seems like they're vacillating on a lot of decisions as we speak. Are you about to make a joke? I'm scared now. No, that's the only one I had planned, but go ahead. Okay, very good. Well, I'm happy I ruined it then. Uh, They don't know what they're doing uh, at at the cornerback position. They know that Sutton's the best option that they have both at outside and inside, and I don't think they have any idea what they want to do beyond that. That's why it's the first press conference of the preseason, and Mike Tomlin says, oh, we're going to see Antoine Brooks at slot corner. Well, well, you see, it's funny you say that because – they, they said Antoine Brooks. Who's the other guy that's a slot corner that's played uh, a bit? Anthony Mollett. Okay. Those guys sounded like good ideas till they actually saw them on the field. Well, and, and then the problem is, if it's James Pierre who wins the job, then you're moving Cam Sutton into the slot on third downs, and now he's not just getting to focus on one position, the outside boundary corner. Uh, I think it gets a little sloppy. We'll see. He's still got four preseason games to figure it out, but uh, I'm not in love with any of those options. The guy that I kind of like coming in was Shacker Brown from Michigan State. He was supposed to be a third-round pick, went undrafted, so that tells you something. But I think the perfect slot corner body, somebody that I had targeted for them mid-draft. So we'll see if it could work out for him maybe. Yeah, but reviews for him are not uh, scintillating. I mean, he's not getting buried, but... You know, I keep hearing just not ready. It's Pierre that everyone thinks is the guy right now. Well, because he picked off Ben in in minicamp. Right, 97-yard return and 106-yard return. But what does that matter now? you got to see it in the game. But again, then you're moving Cam Sutton inside, inside, outside, inside, outside, and it's just not something I love. That's Adam Crowley. When we come back, we'll talk about T.J. Watt's passive holdout. Not practicing, no contract right now. Is that what it is? Well, Peter King seems to think so. We'll find out what Crowman thinks in just one moment here on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan, big fan. Hashtag best in the world. You are super genius. (laughs) I'll say. And then some. The X at 105.9. Double M with Adam Crowley here on the X. Uh, Peter King seemed to imply that T.J. Watt isn't practicing until he signs his contract. Now, we've been told he has a minor injury, but I had surmised the the passive holdout thing. What do you think? 
Oh, I think it's 99% he doesn't want to get hurt before he secures the bag. Uh, that's the sense that I get. But what if he doesn't secure it? He's going to secure it. They're going to pay him. It's going to happen. Art Rooney second came out yesterday and didn't say it was going to get done, but implied it, and we heard it similarly from Kevin Colbert. These things always get done. The thing is, they've never handed out this kind of money to a non-quarterback before. I mean, this is going to be massive, massive Well, that could money. be the thing that blocks it. Because, well, well, how much would you pay him on average annual value? Because I have heard that he wants between 28 and 30, which is quarterback money. It would make him the highest paid edge rusher in football ahead of Joey Bosa and Miles Garrett, who were at, I think, 27 for Bosa, mm-hmm. 25 for Garrett. I can't give any edge rusher that money. I would give, what, 22, 23, somewhere in there. And if he wouldn't take that, I'd say you're being ridiculous and I'm franchising you. It would have been a lot easier for the Steelers had they been able to negotiate this contract prior to Garrett, prior to Bosa. Because now the market has been set for quality edge rusher and his agent can say, look, here's what he's accomplished versus what Miles Garrett's accomplished. Well, right, but you're paying for what they still can do, not what they've done. And T.J. Watt is 26 and I know there are different body types and really different positions, but J.J.'s body started falling apart at 27. I would be I would be trepidatious. I'd be trepidatious at 22 or 23, but I could live with that. I could, I could gamble with that. I can't gamble with 28 to 30. It's a lot of cheddar. I mean, they have cap space next year to burn big time. It's why they shouldn't have any problem finding a quarterback. That's a different conversation, but... Uh, they're going to give him not quite what he wants, but they're going to give him fair market value, which is right there in the Miles Garrett uh, neighborhood along with Bosa. Uh, he certainly doesn't have the off-the-field stuff that Bosa's got going on. Well, let's say he didn't get his deal. Mm-hmm. What would his reaction be? Because let, let's be honest, the guy's a whiny baby. If it wouldn't happen, I don't know how that turns out. He's sitting out right now. I can tell you how it would turn out. It would be great. He wouldn't sit games out during the season, would he? I just don't think no, he would. No, I, I don't think that's within him. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think he'd be happy, and I don't think he could contain his unhappiness. I think it would bubble over quite a bit. Much like it did when he skipped the exit meeting, which no one believes, but I know for sure happened. I've never understood the logic, honestly, in paying a guy prior to that fifth year. I, I just don't understand it. There's no compelling reason to do it. There's no reason to not let the year run out, and then you decide, okay, franchise or long-term deal. All you're doing is putting off the decision. It does the team no harm whatsoever. But the Steelers now, two two things. We talked about this a moment ago off the air. They have a three-headed monster for decision-making, which dilutes the decision-making and means that no one can say to TJ Watt, look, mf -er, this is how it is. And trickling down from that, They just don't want their players to ever know an unpleasant moment. The concept of that, unfortunately, died with Mr. Rooney. Well, I also wonder if they look at TJ now that Roethlisberger is going to be out the door, presumably at the end of the year. Well, maybe not. Maybe not, according to what Art Rooney said yesterday. But I wonder if they're willing to go there in terms of the dollars, not just because he's a really good player on the field, and he is, but because now he's the face of the franchise. But here's the other thing. When Ben retires, let's say they stink. 
Do you need a $30 million edge rusher on a team that stinks? You don't, but I don't think that they will stink because I think it's a lot easier to get a quarterback than people are making it out to be. Really? I do. See, I don't. I mean, it's a 32-team league. Are there even 32 good starting quarterbacks? There aren't, but Russell Wilson this offseason contemplated forcing his hand to try to get out of there. But that's just not their style to go get that guy. It wasn't their style to get Minka Fitzpatrick either. Yeah, but safety, quarterback, I mean... I think it depends on how this year goes. If they are 9-8, and 10-7, and Ben's a shell of himself, but they feel like there's good pieces moving forward in the offensive line, they've got three of the five guys for their future... I could see them paying a stop back, a stop gap because they want to contend for that seventh championship. They've never they, had that kind of money. What do you think? Well, they're not contending for anything, but but you're right. They can deceive themselves and Correct. are right now. Um, you, do you think Ben is going to play in 2022? I mean, I'm not ruling it out. I can't see him having the kind of season behind that offensive line, which won't be a lot better in 2022. I can't see him having the kind of season where they would want to bring him back or where he'd want to come back. I just can't believe we're even doing it again, right? I, I thought last year the way things ended, the decision was made. If he comes back, it's for one more. And if he comes back, I just don't see how he's going to end this season in a place physically where he feels like he could possibly but, come but, back But again, year. it comes back, and I'll be very blunt, they have a gutless organization. They don't want to make decisions that the player won't like or the fans won't like. They they just flush that notion, and they... they they didn't like the way it ended with Troy. Right. Even though they've they've patched things up there, and that's a good thing. But I just don't think they want that to ever happen again, let alone with a quarterback like Ben, as it did with Bradshaw. Well, and that's just it with Bradshaw. You don't want the same situation to go down that way. But I think a lot of it's going to get determined on the way he plays this season. If he's great, why not leave the door open for the possibility. If he's bad, I mean, because last year through 33 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, you could look at last year however way you wanted to. I, I thought Ben had a pretty good season mm-hmm. last year. He faded at the end, and it worries me that he's going to fade at the end again at age 39. In fact, I expect it, but no, Ben had a pretty good mm-hmm. season. You could look at it however way you wanted to. The numbers indicated it was a good year. The eye test, particularly the last five, eight games, showed that it wasn't. So there's justification to either bring him back or otherwise. I think they're probably hoping that this year it's more defined, whether he had a great year or a bad year. That's Adam Crowley. I'm Mark Madden. In just a moment, we'll talk about the pageantry of training camp. It's like one big party, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Does your girlfriend want to bang a penguin? Well, dang, but I guess if that's your freebie, then my freebie would be Crosby. But, uh... Wait, what? DX at 105.9. Double M and Adam Crowley. Crowman, we've talked nothing but Steelers today, but that's given the people what they want. The first exhibition game tomorrow night, it is football season. I'll have done 48 hours of live Steelers radio uh, by the time training camp's over. So, hey, what's another one? Uh, speaking of training camp, the way it's being done at Heinz Field with the fans and like they're playing music, if I'm not mistaken, and you know there's stuff on the Jumbotron, it's like part practice, part Fan fest. Is that good? It's not that different than Latrobe. Really? Yeah, Latrobe's got the old timey feel to it, right? But it's still just a bunch of Steelers fans going nuts. I mean, Antonio Brown was always the most popular. Juju's the guy who's most popular. Yeah, now. Juju caught the three yard pass and 
And did the dance, I heard. He sure did. That got the people fired up. It's always a party. I'm not sure the people need to get fired up at training camp. I like to go back whenever I was a little bit younger but old enough, and I would drink a couple beers on the hillside. You're not allowed to have beers on the hillside, but I would. I like going back, and I detested this guy, but I like when Kevin Green took the football, the kid wanted him to sign, and kicked it over the hill. That's how training camp should be. I went when I was a kid, and Casey Hampton signed my something or other. I think it was my terrible towel. But you realize... You're just getting sweated on. I mean, there's thousands of people. It's always 90 degrees. I loved it at St. Vincent when I was covering it because every night I would go and get plastered at Sharky's. But I got to go to Sharky's. I promised I would go to Sharky's during training camp this year. I got to get up there. I promised too. Maybe we can carpool. Yeah, the food's great. Oh, it's all it's that, outstanding. That's one of the the, the better places. Not not just for training camp, but one of the better places in the area. Now we'll talk at length. You know, between now and opening game about where the Steelers are going to wind up. But here's my likely scenario, and it's a familiar one. I look at their schedule, I see them starting 7-6, and six, and then they lose three of the last four when things get really tough. Yeah, I think they're going to have a pretty decent start, potentially. I think they will be in the running till the very end. Yeah, I mean... Every single year of Mike Tomlin's tenure, they've only been or they they've been in it until week seventeen, apart from once. One time they were eliminated before week seventeen. Even when they started zero and four, they were in it at week seventeen, yeah. albeit very marginally uh, mathematically. They're going to be competitive, and the league is designed for teams to unless be Ben gets hurt, unless Roethlisberger gets hurt for an extended period. And of time. what are the odds of that happening? I mean, we we gave our over unders before, and how many is going to miss, but. What if he gets cracked like in the second or third game? That line stinks and he's 39. He only missed the one game last year, and it's because they pulled him to rest him. And he will play through pain, no question. No Always question. has. He, he's a tough guy, but you would have to think, at 38 and 39, last year and this year combined, he's not going to be healthy for both. It's just not, the, it's not in the cards. That would be... Uh, very fortuitous for the Pittsburgh Steelers if Ben plays the entire season healthy at 39. Now, you're a basketball guy. Sure. Do you watch the basketball tournament, TBT, with I, all those alums? And, you know, it's supposed to be like street basketball teams, but it's obviously much more organized because you win a million bucks. You do. Uh, West Virginia had a team. I watched them early on. It's definitely organized. Uh, it's It's pretty good ball. It is, and it's at a dead time of the year. You can't be an ex-pro and play, can you? No. But you could be ex-college. Ex-college. All these guys. A lot of ex-European organizations as well. They come back and play. It's interesting, and they put it at a dead period, and I think it has to do a decent number. Is it a million bucks winner-take-all? Mm-hmm. If you were in the final, wouldn't you work a finish? I mean, not work a finish, but wouldn't you say, hey, loser gets 200K, winner gets 800K? I used to do that all the time at this church drawing I went to before I stopped believing in God and all that fun stuff. Right. Um, but... Yes, I would probably do the same thing. What's your take on the Elam ending? Because I love it. If the NBA and college ball use the Elam ending, I would watch more games. I really would. I it eliminates the intentional fouling and the endless timeouts. How can I mean, I understand that they're not going to do it. I don't see how the NBA can't do it. I think the NBA is fine because of the ratings and I don't think they're going to mess around with anything. It would be more popular if they did this. And all, all you do there is, I know they think that the games might be shorter. Make the quarters 15 minutes. Well, college basketball needs this. The end of college basketball games. Fair enough, games, fair enough. I, I, if, if college did it, 
uh, and the NBA didn't, I think that would be a step in the right direction. And if college did it, I think people would like it so much the NBA would eventually do it, much like the three-pointer. The NBA hated the three-pointer when the ABA did it, but they couldn't wait to do it after the merger. Right. You're exactly right. And I, I think it's just desperately needed in college basketball. And I love college basketball. But the last two minutes of a game, Mark, they take 38 minutes. I mean, every single close game, it's drawn out. And, okay, the ending is exciting. The very end is exciting. But when the last two minutes are 40 minutes long, it is excruciating. I want to talk uh, Olympics. Uh, What's your take on Simone Biles, who became a bigger hero by not competing? I'm sympathetic to the mental health cause. I am, too. I've had some serious anxiety, panic-related issues in my life. Um, that being said, I think to call her a hero might be a bridge too far. Uh, I, I I have no problem with her not competing if she felt she mentally wasn't up to it. I have a problem with her benefiting more from that than she would have had she won all the medals. If people want to look at her as their hero, I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that. Um, however, well, first off, it's only gymnastics, which we don't give a damn about, except right. during the execution thereof during the Olympics. Otherwise, nobody cares at all. Oh, that's undoubtedly true. Uh, it's the same thing with swimming or running or any of these things. Uh, Simone Biles is unquestionably a great athlete, and she's as decorated as any gymnast really of all time. But this is the Rorschach test. I mean, there are certain people that are going to look at this that's going to keep her from being the GOAT, and there's other people that are going to look at it and say it only cements her legacy further. Uh, I can see arguments on both sides. Uh, it doesn't bother me that she wasn't able to compete, though. I understand the whole twisties thing. You know, I, I do too, but again, making her a bigger hero, and it's like Novak Djokovic said, you know, professional sports, competitive sports rather, are about who handles the pressure the best. And she is being lauded for not being able to handle the pressure. And also, here's a few other things I can't ignore. She let her team down by pulling out, even though they still want a silver. Maybe they win gold if she competes in the team competition. And she cost somebody a spot. Had she pulled out before the games, the U.S. could have placed somebody else in her place. Yeah, I think I think the second thing is definitely fair, and I'm not sure that they would have gotten the gold because she clearly didn't have it, uh, whatever the twisties are. I mean, she wasn't able to work through it. I don't know that she helps them in that situation. But if she had known beforehand, yeah, you'd obviously like to see the spot go to somebody else who was working hard too. I mean, I'm not a hero. I, I missed a show one time because I was having a brutal panic attack. I don't ask for people to call me a hero. Uh, their sympathy would have been nice, right? Uh, understanding, I think, is important, but... You let our profession down, Crowley. Get out! People people care about me even less than gymnastics, which they only care about every four years. Uh, join the club. Uh, what about the U.S. women's soccer team, which lost in the semis to Canada? America's hat. My God, how disappointing. Did not look good the whole tournament. They had an average age of 31, which is just death when you're playing, A, that level of competition internationally, and B, in a tournament where the games are so close together. These women just didn't know when to step aside, nor did USA Soccer have the guts to tell them to step aside. And with every other great team the U.S. has had for women's soccer, they knew when to turn the roster over, and with this one they simply did not. And I think it's because the women involved, including Ms. Rapino, who didn't look so good in this tournament, her one penalty 
to win the shootout against the Netherlands aside, they just want to get their message out there. They want to be woke. And I'm not going to be like Trump and say they lost because they were woke, but maybe they had the wrong focus. I'm not sure. I, I don't agree that, that that clouds their focus in any form. However, in my opinion, I do think it changes it, potentially the mind of the people making the decisions. Well, I think it's clouded their accomplishment. For example, when they won the World Cup in 2019, all I heard about was their platforms and platitudes, and it was almost like the World Cup was an afterthought, and they won it. I loved the whole thing. I thought it was awesome that they were cocky, that they threw it in the face of of the teams that they beat kind of in a University of Miami way. And I liked that they were able to get the messages out there. I think if you win, your message can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, to me, they were champions and they were, they were pushing forth uh, good social causes. Um, that being said, when you do have the society that we live in right now you make it hard on decision makers to take people like that and sit them down right it's tough to cut megan rapino right. when she is a spokesman for something that goes beyond soccer correct but nonetheless her first job is to win at soccer sure. and that group has stopped doing that now yeah they did not achieve what they were supposed to how achieve. much you want to bet rapino's on the next u.s team in a major competition she can't be on the next olympic team right i mean I bet she's on the next, uh, well, the World Cup now. Couple well, years. the years are staggered now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2023. No, it's it's just two years. I think it's two. I bet she's on the team. Probably. Well, then it, at that point, anybody who says priorities are skewed, I'm not going to argue with them. Uh, SEC absorbed Oklahoma and Texas. Does ESPN have too much influence on things like that? Oh, big time. They got the influence on the college football playoff. Uh, They're the ones who want to expand it to 12 teams. They now have the entirety of the SEC contract. The CBS 330 game, going to be gone. ESPN has the entire SEC. They're in charge of the playoff. This whole thing was their design. No, No question. And them owning the whole college football playoff gives them leverage over all the conferences, even the ones for whom they, they do not have the rights. I do think they're trying to disintegrate the Big 12 so they can get out of paying that TV bill and strengthen the conferences that they're associated with, like the AAC. Their value will go up, but they're paying them you know one lower rate. You can. They're going to pay $60 million to the teams in the SEC, or there's, the TV contracts are going to be worth $60 million to those SEC teams. If the Big 12 dissolves... Texas and Oklahoma can leave the second the conference dissolves. If not, they got to wait until 2025. So, of course, ESPN wants that conference to be kaput. I wrote a column, and I think this applies to West Virginia, too. You're, you're a mountaineer. I think that Pitt is just dead in the water and don't know it because they're not an ACC school. They may play in the ACC, but there's no rivalries there. There's no games anybody looks forward to. I think Pitt football needed and still needs an Eastern Conference, one which does not now and never will again exist. And I think West Virginia is maybe maybe not as bad off in the same boat as Pitt, but I think they're in that boat. Yeah, they're in the boat. There's no doubt they're in the boat. And we're going to find pretty soon that apart from about 40 colleges, they're all going to be in that boat. Um, ESPN, they want that bag. The big schools know that the only way that they think that they can survive is to keep up with the Joneses. And you're going to see even more of a watered-down product apart from 
what will be, I think, maybe eventually either two giant conferences or one minor NFL conference. I think all the teams like Pitt and West Virginia are going to be by the wayside. And it's so stupid because the most appealing thing to me about college football is that it's not like the NFL. It has and, and regional rivalries mean something, and and now they're getting away from the one thing that I enjoy most, and that that does make them different. And I think we'll see the day when the SEC kicks out Vanderbilt and adds Southern Cal, which would not be exactly Southeast. Yeah, geography doesn't matter anymore, but it should. It oh, should. It always did. That that to me, that's one of the big selling points of college football. I, I can't tell you the last time I saw a Big Twelve football fan that I could talk smack on as a West Virginia guy here in Pittsburgh, right? But what happens is, if the SEC, let's just say the SEC said we're going to steal Clemson, they don't right now. The SEC have a school in North Carolina. So if they get Clemson, which is in North Carolina, now every single TV. They get to charge $2 or whatever it is for each TV that could potentially add the cable package. So if you start adding states that you don't have the rights to, you start adding millions and millions of dollars. So they're going to start branching out to all kinds of states they haven't had their feet in before. Did you hear my rant or, or see the study that somebody did for the NCAA saying the men's and women's basketball tournaments should be presented exactly equally despite the disparity in interest and the disparity in attendance and the disparity in TV rights fees? Is there any way to do that that isn't 100% artificial and will actually look condescending to the women's tournament? The thing that they need to do is make sure what happened last time doesn't happen. Women should get a weight room. Women shouldn't get these crappy half-assed sandwiches. But, But that was the circumstance of the bubble. And don't get me wrong, that was not the right thing. But it just – well, wait, we're talking about the WNBA, aren't we, or, or the that, weight rooms? That or? was the women. The women. The women's NCAA tournament, they didn't have the weight rooms. They didn't have any – But that was before the pandemic. Uh, I think it was during the pandemic. I think it was the last NCAA tournament. The women were sending out the tweets saying that they didn't have any of the facilities that the men had. Even that stuff out. But, look, the men's tournament is worth almost a, a billion dollars – and the women's tournament is like $35 million. Yeah, the disparity in the rights fees is astronomical, and you can't pretend otherwise. And like I said, you want it to be equal? Then let's be equal. Have the final at the same time in neighboring arenas on different networks and see who watches what. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I do know why they're putting this out there, but it should be like everything else on television. The stuff that people want to watch should get prioritized. Let the market dictate. That's all it is, or what, should be. What do you think of my scenario? And this won't happen in my lifetime. It could happen in yours. That we'll eventually see co-ed sports for, for sports that can be co-ed, namely basketball and hockey. Maybe. I think I've had a lot of fun playing co-ed sports, Mark. I'm talking about the NHL being co-ed, the NBA being co-ed. I just don't. I mean, I just don't see how it would work out. But you're not a thousand percent ruling it out either, are you? I did not in a hundred years or whenever. Maybe after you're dead. And they'll cancel football by then too. That's Adam Crowley. When we come back, we'll talk some hockey here on the home of the Penguins, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, I uh, love the show, man. Hey, Mark, how you doing, Colin? All hail Double M. The X at 105.9. And this right here. Is the difference between the major leagues and the minor leagues. If nothing else, 
you like about our sport than this. Look at it, because this probably costs more than the house you live in. You know, today I was on DV doing my Wednesday morning hit, and Flair called, so I got off DV for a second to talk to Flair. I mean, that's the right thing to do, correct? That is a pretty good reason to get off the air. Now, uh, a couple hockey things I want to talk about. First off, ESPN has hired John Tortorella as an analyst. Now, whether he'll be good or not, I do not know. But here's a guy who hated the media, and now he joined the media. It reminds me very much of when Bill Parcells, who loathed the media, became an NFL analyst. Yeah, it's one thing when John Gruden becomes an NFL analyst and then doesn't criticize anybody. It's totally different in this instance. Uh, I both hope and don't hope that John Tortorella lets fly. Uh, I thought that... I think he'll be Milbury-esque. I think he'll be a jerk-off. See, that's that's my thing. I think for interest... He won't be Barkley. He won't be Barkley. He'll be, he'll be Milbury. He'll be a bad kind of outspoken. Correct. And he can... The charisma is necessary and I think will be a welcome addition, but... I was hoping that we would move away from the Millberries instead of adding an extra one. Although I do think he'll be better at being Millberry than Millberries or was. Well, I think the jury's out with a lot of the guys that the NHL is bringing in to do analysis on uh, TNT and ESPN. I think the best guy they could possibly get is Tockett, who's debating several job offers, including uh, Wednesday night host in studio on TNT. Um, I have a column coming out. I did a monologue yesterday. The first NHL game ever on TNT is going to be the Rangers in Washington after that, 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 the shenanigans with Wilson last year where Wilson body slammed Andre Panera and then the teams played two nights later and there was a line brawl to start the game, six fights. It was just an excrement show. That is the first game ever for the NHL on TNT. And now the Rangers have gotten Reeves and Tenorti, too, yes. so it's going to be real frisky. And I get it. That'll probably pop a rating. But the NHL very often lets you know exactly what the league wants the product to be, and I think that's the case here. Bingo. I mean, they let us what they were okay with last year when they allowed that to happen. Had the league jumped in. Well, in that second game with all the fights, Crow, man, that was on national TV, too. It was. Uh, I, I was working out in my basement, and I watched it on my phone because I needed to make sure I saw it, but also had to get my workout in for the day. Uh, I usually flock to the television for an event. That is not, though, what I want to see out of the NHL. It's the opposite of what I want to see. Well, it's the opposite of what they should want to present. Correct. Especially opening night on TNT, although the season opens the night before on ESPN. I think Tuesday's going to be the ESPN night, and Wednesday's going to be the TNT night. And I'm curious to see who does like weekends, who gets more games then. But uh, actually, I could look that up. I'm pretty sure there's a broadcast schedule out somewhere. But it's not going to be uh, Sid. It's not going to be McDavid. It's not going to be the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. It's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, and that's typical of the NHL, and it's what we've come to expect, and it's very frustrating. It makes me want to bash my head into a wall, and I was hoping that it may change, but in reality, it never was going to change. I also want to pause for a second and laugh at the New York Rangers. And Look, I think Ryan Reeves can be a good player whenever you, you use him more than eight minutes at night. Uh, however, they let that one incident change the entire makeup of their club. You know what, though? 
They were soft. It needed to happen. They were soft. I wish the Penguins would 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 let something change the makeup of their team because boy, we heard a lot of talk about that, but it has not transpired, has it? It has not, and I'm still jury's out guy on Ron Hextall. I think too many people wanted to see stuff happen quickly. Yeah, but with that lack of cap room, it was always going to be difficult. The thing I don't get is, if you want to open up cap space, the guy to trade is Brian Rust. Because he has one more year left on his deal. He's going to want more money for the next contract than he got on this one, which was, to my mind, too much. He's a third-line talent who hit the line-mate lottery. But I just can't help but feel that he won't get traded because Sid wants Rust on his line. Mm, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, they want. You'd open up. What's he get? Three point seven. Yes. that's a lot of cap room. I mean, you'd get nothing in return, but you'd get the cap space. But now maybe it's too late to utilize it. Well, in Elliot Friedman on the Thirty One Thoughts the podcast, he's tapped in up there at Sportsnet in Canada. Uh, he said and echoed what we know to be true that Jason Zucker is on the market, and that there are teams that are interested in Marcus Pedersen. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Pedersen go. I think the thing is now. You lose another left wing. You lost all three of your left wings apart from Jake Gensel from last year. And I don't think that Jason Zucker has necessarily been a fit, and $5.5 million would look nice in their pockets. But he ain't bad either. He's not bad. I mean, I'd hate to give him a, I, I, I'd rather trade Rust than Zucker. Wow. Because, because they're, Rust is a $3.5 million cap hit. But what he's going to want with his stats next contract, they're just not going to be able to pay him. And if they do pay him, it'll screw him even more. Although... If I'm not mistaken, this is the last year for the flat cap. Uh, I think it's supposed to go a couple more. But, really? But, who? I mean, it could... Well, the pandemic may may dictate that, too. I'm not sure we're totally out right. of the woods with that. And I, I think, ideally, if you could move a, a $5.5 million salary out, you would. Um, but... You have to have somebody that wants it. That's why all the people with their arms up about Jared McCann. Oh, he's too wide. You lose Jared. He was the guy at a cap pit that they could move. They moved the guy that they could. I'll be blunt. Him and Tanev are just a couple guys. Brock McGinn is going to be as beloved as Brandon Tanev within 15 games. And he'll get hurt less. Final question. Back to the NFL. Will an NFL game be forfeited this year because of COVID? No. I, I, now, when you say no, do you mean they'll back out on threatening to do that, or will that circumstance just not transpire? It's not going to happen. It's not going to transpire. Last year, we didn't see it happen, and everybody was getting COVID. This year, 90% of the players right now were vaccinated. Well, yeah, you had an extra week to work with last year, though. They I, say they won't this year. I just I don't think it's going to happen. We're not going to see a big enough breakout to have to move a game the way that they did last Will year. Will a result be affected by COVID where, where a team starting quarterback or maybe all the quarterbacks can't play? Um, there will be a result that's affected by COVID. I mean, the Steelers... The, the, would be Buffalo with Beasley and Allen. Well, right. I mean, hell, last... You think about uh, just a week ago, it, Benny Snell didn't look like he was vaccinated, and then Najee Harris didn't look like he was vaccinated. There's a position unit out the door potentially in one week if those guys hadn't gotten vaccinated, and that can cost the team a game. Yeah, I don't know what they'd do without Benny Snell. That's Adam Crowley. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 X.